What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the annual Kuyu Gingerbread Contest. 250 bucks on the line for the winning team members, so I probably won't mess around as much on this one. So sorry. gotta be kidding me that's beautiful that's insanity oh hi sasha hi So, that's my buddy Todd, and he always does these just ridiculous, mostly food videos. It's all food videos, but this is the most serious I've ever seen him be. <laughs> but it's actually like it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's ours. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyways. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. You're doing good? Yeah. Are How? we are we on? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, we're totally on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good. Just it's a lazy day today. I got to pick up my deer heads from the guy who does my taxidermy. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't really call it taxidermy, I just call it more like Euro mounts. I mean I'm sure that that's some sort of taxidermy, just not. Anyways, <laughs> you're in a field. I we're don't, going out of your wheelhouse. You're right out now. of my field. Your, so we'll just go back to <laughs> go back to the beginning. But yeah, I picked up my deer heads for two of the deer's, two of the deer, the two of the bucks that I shot this year, my California buck and my Utah buck, and uh, hung out at the archery shop for a little bit. Nice. Yeah, took it fairly easy. I really tried to eke out a nap in there like i told you when you were on you're like i'm on my way up and i was like cool i'm gonna take a nap yeah get in your power nap <sighs> didn't happen mm. i wish that it did i wish that it did but it didn't happen but how was your day it was good i was just working in hospice mm-hmm. as a, a grief counselor um getting to show up for other people and support them through their loss so that's what i love to do yeah yeah so 
for you, what's that like? Being like, a grief counselor? Yeah, being a grief counselor and, and helping people sort through their loads of grief. Yeah. I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you go to grad school and you study psychology. I did not go to grad school. Well, hypothetically. I barely eked out of high school, so <laughs> just put that on the table. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a therapist, the, yeah, the yeah. universal you for a therapist yeah, yeah. would go to grad school and, and you learn all these, you know, theories, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have them all in the back of your head. And as I approached grief counseling, it, all of it started to feel a little bit irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And it's really just about showing up for somebody. And showing up for somebody else. Yeah, and just truly listening, having an open heart, mm -hmm. just allowing for whatever their expression of grief is. Yeah. Um, and just being present for another human being. So in doing, in going through that, what has it been like for you navigating the course mm -hmm. in different individuals' mm -hmm. grief? Well, it's really different. Because everybody deals with grief differently, I'm sure, which you probably know better than anybody. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, the youngest client I've ever had is three. The oldest is 91. So that gives you like a very large spectrum. It's a huge spectrum. And then you think about all the different types of losses. Well, there's people who lose someone through cancer, there's suicide loss, there's homicide. Mm -hmm. So it really just depends on the loss. And then there's differences between women and men and sometimes in the way they show grief. So mm -hmm. honestly, every single experience is so unique and so different. Um, and just kind of I can't say there's really a universal grief experience. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, like you said, all the way down to every individual is different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's crazy. So living a life of, I mean, obviously it's a career choice, mm -hmm. you know, so there's finance involved, but living a life of constant self-sacrifice, like, do you ever feel for you that it ever, like, do you ever take your work home with you? Like, are there grief stories that you've had to deal with personally where it weighed on you after the clock stopped ticking? You know, that's an interesting question. I actually did life coaching and different forms of counseling prior to doing the therapy route. Mm -hmm. And so I think in those years of coaching, I started to like work on not taking other people's stuff home with me. And so the by separation. the Yeah, so by the time I kind of went through a master's program and went into the therapy field, I had already, I don't want to say I've mastered that skill, but I've gotten a lot better at it. Yeah. Um, so once in a blue moon, I'll take someone's story home with me. But for the most part, I just try to let go of their pain as I exit the room and just kind of hold love for them, but not carry their burden with them. Because yeah. frankly, with I'm- you. not Yeah, with me, sorry. Yeah. Because frankly, I'm not gonna help anyone by carrying everybody else's pain. No, not at all. Yeah. There's no, there's no benefit to that mm -hmm. at all. That's, have you ever finished a session and left a client and just had a super emotional, maybe not breakdown, but an emotional experience for yourself after hearing whatever, like you held your composure through the entire session yeah. and came out and you were just like rocked from it and had to process it out through your own way? Yeah, I remember one time working with a minor, you know, someone under the age of 18 and just feeling really impacted by it and really, you know, just crying afterwards. Um, 
because it's so hard to watch young people suffer. It's hard to watch anyone suffer, but particularly young people. And so there's been a few times where I felt really vulnerable myself and just like needed to take a moment to process it. Yeah. Well, we were kind of talking about, I don't want to say the suffering of young people last night, but like how kids treat each other Mm -hmm. and how much of an impact it can have on their entire lives or, you know, like how much will people carry it through their whole life as far as how they were treated right. as a youth. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's it's pretty crazy because, you know, there's a lot of times when people will carry it forever. And as children, we have no idea what we're doing when we're right. doing it. Right. When we're picking on people and, you know, being jerks and bullies and, you know, all this stuff, we have no idea, like, you know, in, in our heads, at least in my head, you know, never thought in my mind, like, I'm going to go, you know, make fun of this kid and then they're going to go home and off themselves. You know, like, that's just such not right. even a, a reality concept. But I swear, as we grow up and we see more stuff, and maybe it's more prevalent today than it was in the past or whatever, mm-hmm. but you start finding out, like, stories of that kind of shit happening. You know, and like yeah. horrific stories and how kids treat other kids. And then it's like, damn, dude, we all did that as kids. Or we were all the kid that was picking on someone or the kid yeah. that was getting picked on. And it's like, now you look, now I look at it and I'm like, dude, that's rough, man. It is. Yeah. And I think that social media adds a whole new element to it. Yeah. Like when we were kids, there wasn't the social media there element. There wasn't any internet. It was no. like AOL, totally. chat room, what's going on, chat room. So we just tortured each other in Eight person. Sex location. <laughs> Where <are> you at? <laughs> right. <laughs> but now you can harass people online and a lot of kids do that. And you, you can know? hide behind keyboards, create mm-hmm. fake accounts, like mm-hmm. all different kinds of stuff. Absolutely. And just dive into people Yeah. for fun. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm grateful that I'm not growing up as a child right now in this era. I wonder what the repercussions will be like down the road. Like, right. what will it look like down the road for allowing everything to be the way that it is evolving? Well, I mean, one <laughs> thing that I'm, you know, I've read articles about, but basically young kids who are on their, you know, screen time all the time, whether it's TV or their iPad or their phone, whatever it is, that they're not spending as much time with people face to face. Mm -hmm. So young kids aren't learning to read emotional cues or like gestures or facial expressions the way we did in older generations, just because of all the interference with screens. So it can actually affect your kind of emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. I know. Because you're not, like you're saying, you're not engaging. Their kids aren't engaging. Yeah. They're engaging a screen. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, I'm sure, like, I engaged the screen when I was a child, but it was a... It was a TV. A TV with a red, blue, and green bar in it. Yeah. You know, when you looked really close, it wasn't even flat screens yet. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so it's crazy to just... Yeah, my happiest memories were out in nature, right? Like hiking and being in creeks and catching salamanders and. We both grew up in Marin County, which, for a lot of kids, 
in our neck of the woods like and I, I guess and more than just in, in you know in the towns we grew up in but for a lot of Marin County is nature is an enormous release mm-hmm. for all of the kids yeah I don't know about now but like you know back in the day like that's everything that we all used to do mountain biking BMX riding hiking anything that we could do to make an excuse to go outdoors rain or shine you know that's what we were doing I remember being like eight and I would be so excited when it was pouring rain and I'd put on all my rain gear and just go out and play in the puddles by myself mm-hmm. um, but I think also the internet brings in an added element of we hear all these stories globally now of things happening to kids, and mm-hmm. so there's so much fear around giving kids freedom and free reign. Right. Um, and I think it's really important for kids to have, you know, some freedom yeah. and be able to just be out there and explore and cut their knees and, right. you know, be in nature. Right. Well, I, I remember, God, this is years ago. <laughs> I went to my buddy Julian's house and stayed the night mm-hmm. and it was like spring it was right right around april near my birthday and we just went like mayhem in the mud you know we cut the wheels and the trucks off of skateboards and put um bands on the skateboards and like we called it dirt boarding and we were just <laughs> sliding down dirt hills yeah and getting scratched and cut up and we come back to the house and my mom's there and his mom's there and they both look at us and they're like, oh, well, boys will be boys. Yeah. You know, and we just were out ransacking the whole entire day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But nature is an amazing phenomenon. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, especially, I think that the release that we all get from nature and not having screen time like for me one of my favorite things and you won't be able to relate to this but like when I'm out hunting and out guiding or doing whatever I'm doing when I'm out doing any of that kind of stuff the amount of time that I spend on my phone because you can look at your screen time results Mm -hmm. every week your screen time report I hate seeing that it's so embarrassing (laughs) embarrassing. what's terrible when I come four hours a day when I come back from like three or four weeks of of hunting Mm -hmm. and my screen time is like an hour a day max right right and then it's like your screen time has gone up you know five thousand percent this week you've gone from an hour and a half to two hours to like you were on your phone for nine hours this you know this week nine hours a day average and it's like dude like put the phone down like get back outside unplug yeah absolutely it's so crazy do you do you find any in your in your job do you find any benefit do you ever take clients or or patients into out outside that's a great question. Um, so I do have a county job. So mm-hmm. I have two different agencies I work for. And one of my jobs is at a hospital. Mm-hmm. And there are long-term stay patients at some of these hospitals. And when I say long-term stay, I mean like two years. People yeah. who actually become residents of the hospital because they have nowhere to go. Um, there's certain people who 
part of my therapy with them is taking them outside, whether I'm pushing them in their wheelchair or they're able to walk, and we just walk around in nature or we walk around the perimeter of the hospital. We might sit outside by the trees, the redwoods, and just do some like deep breathing or meditation. And when you think about it, you've got these people kind of in the system and stuck at the hospital, and some of them are not getting out at all. Ever. And the only time they get out is when I take them out once a week. So it's, it's, it helps people stay sane. Do you see, can you see it when you take them outside? Like, oh, Can yeah. you see the instant relief? Instant relief. Yeah. And a lot of people are very verbal about it. They thank me. You know, they tell me, God, I haven't been outside in two weeks. This means so much to me. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, after being outside for just one hour, report feeling like way less stressed, you know, just feeling better. And I swear, I swear last night when we were at the, where were we at last night? Wu Wei. What, 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 was, what was it called? <laughs> Wu Wei Tea Temple. Tea Temple. Yeah, yeah. I keep saying, thinking Tea Tavern. It's well, same, I like that name too. <laughs> same thing. Same thing. So it, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be completely wrong, but yeah. I swear, it's, was that called ecotherapy? Oh, yeah, I mentioned that. So, yeah. you know, this is, I always laugh, science is now confirming what common sense has always told us, right? Yeah. That nature is actually good for you. Oh, get the fuck out of town. <laughs> so there's a whole field called ecotherapy, which is all about studying, like, how nature has beneficial impacts on us emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, if you, you know, believe in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I mean, for me, 100%, yeah. I mean, that's definitely spiritually. Yeah. Nature is one of the largest positive influences in my life and having that outside kingdom and experience and essential freedom of self-reliance, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, honestly, so many people in this country, I can't speak for other countries because I've only lived in the United States, but... So many people in this country have anxiety and depression, um, and we're so distanced from everything. Yeah. We're distanced from the furniture in our homes. A lot of us don't build our furniture. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of us don't even cook our food. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't grow or hunt our food. And I think the more you learn to do things for yourself, there's an increase in confidence, and for some people it alleviates their depression and their anxiety. Right. Well, yeah. Because you actually become able to rely upon yourself Absolutely. and become a self-sufficient individual. Absolutely. You know, and I always wonder about that, you know, and I've never taken it as far as you just have, as far as we're disconnected from our furniture and, and everything. everything. I've never looked at it like that, but we totally are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now that you say that. Yeah. And uh, like the chair that you're sitting in. Yeah. The reason why I have that chair, my grandfather bought a set of eight of those chairs at a garage sale in Woodacre. Mm. And that's my hood. <laughs> right? In the 1940s or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right? For like seven bucks. Right. The whole entire set. And I still have it because, like, you're not going to want to do it. But if you reach underneath the back of the chair, mm -hmm. uh, underneath the top part. Yeah. And you can feel it's kind of sticky. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I could go with so many terrible jokes, but. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish I hadn't just touched that. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what that is, is like, and this is my connection to the, to the 
the chair. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. No, one, no one in my family built it. But these chairs sat at my grandparents' house. My grandparents chain-smoked cigarettes their entire lives. Mm -hmm. So it's all the tobacco resin. Oh, okay. From being in a house full of smoke. Right, for right. For 50, 60 years. Yeah. Which is nuts to think about, you know? Somebody's probably like, that's fucking gross shit listening. Right it now. is, though. I had a grandma who smoked two packs a day, and yeah. it's it's a nice, you know, I don't know. When I smell cigarettes, I, I think of grandma. So for some yeah. of us, it's a nice association. <laughs> right? I have, a, I have a cabinet downstairs in my garage, mm -hmm. and it's the only thing left that if I open it and stick my head inside the cabinet, mm -hmm. I smell my grandparents' house. Oh. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. But, you know, I don't know, just full circle back to what we're talking about connection with furniture connection with you know nobody does have we don't have connection with our clothes we don't have you know the garments that we wear we don't have connection with our bedding we don't have connection oh, yeah. with anything i mean i have connection with my food because i work my ass off right to get it and you hunt yeah oh that was a terrible burp <laughs> excuse me um but it was i know i guess i've just never looked at it with, with that. how disconnected we really are you know and the reason that's on my radar because about two years ago because I'm actually trained in art therapy I started making things I realized I didn't have to buy things I could make things so I made my own mosaic you know bird bath mm -hmm. these earrings I'm wearing I made them I realized I don't have to buy earrings I can make earrings yeah and it's so fulfilling to create the things around you and to have that type of connection with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's therapy in itself. It really is. Yeah. I've noticed when I'm doing art or creating, I can go hours without checking my phone. I'm just in the zone. And I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. When you can focus and sit down and look at whatever it is, the, the task at hand, mm -hmm. when you're creating things or when I'm... And, you know, using my creativity. Yeah. I can go down rabbit holes for so long and then come out of it and be like, whoa, where was I for the last six hours? Absolutely. You know, that's, that's super rad. So, I mean, I guess we're, tw we're 22 minutes in. 22 is my lucky number. Is it? It is. That's a, right on. I'll, I'll take it. So, your name is Zan. My name is Zan. You grew up in... San Anselmo and Fairfax. And Fairfax. Um, we've known each other since seventh grade. So, oh my God. We've known each other. Is it seventh grade? Yeah, we've known each other for 22 years. What the fuck? 22 minutes of the podcast, hey. and I've known you for 22 years. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, what was life like for you? Just a quick background on who you are and, mm -hmm. you know, what life was like for you growing up and you know, kind of getting into, you know, if you want to get into going to grad school and all that and picking yeah. your career and, you know, and then I, I kind of want to talk to you about a portion of your life mm -hmm. that happened, you know, right in your, in your twenties. Absolutely. Right? So, yeah. And it all connects. I mean, you can't really yeah. compartmentalize any of it. Yeah. So, you know, I was born in San Francisco. My parents are from back East. Um, and 
I, I feel that I have, I've had a pretty good life. I mean, I, I was born in, well, I was born in San Francisco, but mainly raised in Marin County mm -hmm. and surrounded by nature. You know, I lived in Fairfax, San Anselmo, and my parents are still together. They've been together over 35 years. Yeah, mine too, isn't that crazy? It's a, yeah, it's crazy. Especially in today's day and age. It's, it, and you know what I've noticed? It, it left this imprint for me, this blueprint, where I really believe marriages can last because that's what I've seen modeled. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been really fortunate. Yeah, me too. My grand, both grandparents on, my grandparents on both sides were married for over 50 years. Wow. And my parents have been married for coming into 40? Mm. Oh shit. That's so scary to it's think amazing. that I'm getting that old. <laughs> We're not that old. <laughs> I know, but it's still like. So, anyways, you yeah. grew up, you know. And... Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, I've, I've had an amazing life, and I've also just like everybody else had some major adversities and obstacles and struggles. One of my major struggles is that pretty much since the age of two, I've lived with chronic or terminal illnesses. Mm -hmm. So that's been a huge ongoing and battle for me. And never the same illness. Um, a few different illnesses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, just to clarify that. Too. Yeah, just to clarify that. Yeah, I've gone through a lot of you know different health concerns and yeah. crises. Um, but yeah, by age 14, I actually developed a really severe neurological disease. Um, I went away to summer camp and I came back and I was just in bed the entire summer. Oh wow. And at first they said, okay, well you have mono, but then it turned into this chronic post-viral syndrome. And I kind of got diagnosed under this umbrella of mystery illnesses where I was told by infectious disease specialists and my primary care physician and a rheumatologist and you know other medical doctors that um, I had Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, and ME, which is essentially chronic inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. Mm -hmm. So I actually first got very sick in the neurological sense at age 14. Wow. Yeah. And what, did they ever pinpoint what it was actually? Well, I mean, with Lyme, right, it, it's tick-borne illness. Yeah. Um, and I have had some tick bites. And with the fibro and the ME, normally that starts with, you know, any type of severe trauma to, to the body or the brain, the nervous system. And so, you know, I've been in car accidents, I've had some concussions, and I also had a really bad um, experience with Epstein-Barr Epstein-Barr virus, which starts mononucleosis. So I kind of had this perfect storm of um, stressors or traumas uh, that led into this, you know, oh, you know, 15 years of chronic illness. And I, that's what I have to say. It's the perfect storm because normally it takes multiple stressors for a chronic disease to manifest. Uh -huh. Yeah. So what did that look like for you? Well, you know, high school, I was still functional. I mean, I had to drink a cup of coffee every morning by age 14 to stay awake in class. Mm -hmm. I had just- But you were also a high functioning student that wasn't a fucked off student. You were actually doing school and doing well. Yeah, I went to like two parties a year. I mean, yeah, I wasn't maybe. a big- Maybe, if that. Yeah. I wasn't a big party girl. Um, I avoided boys for a long time, mm -hmm. <laughs> which helped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I was doing really well, but I was physically suffering. I had a lot of brain fog. I had vertigo. 
I had inflammation of my joints. I had debilitating fatigue. And uh -huh. I really struggled in high school. Um, but it wasn't until college when I got very ill. And as I was approaching my senior year of UCLA, I actually had to drop out of college because I became so sick with chronic Lyme and you know chronic fibromyalgia. Now, how, how did they end up finding out that you had Lyme? I did multiple tests. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then that's the tricky thing about Lyme is you can get false negatives and you can get false positives. Um, but as of now, my understanding is that I've dealt with chronic Lyme and chronic ME and fibro. Mm -hmm. So again, it's kind of that bucket of mystery disease where they have a hard time diagnosing it and they have a really hard time treating it. And so for you, what was it like when you found out when you're at UCLA, mm -hmm. like you have limes, and you're, you know, you were looking at just basically being bedridden for the next how many ever years it was going to take. I mean, that was the really hard thing is that I didn't feel like the medical system or really anybody had many answers for me. I mean, I had, I did antibiotics, I did antiviral treatments, I did kind of the standard. Which none of that really works though, right? It didn't, well, I mean, I guess for some people it does and some people it doesn't. Um, More often it doesn't work though, from what I've heard. Yeah, I would agree, I would agree with that. Yeah. You know, and I can only really talk from my experience and the people I know, I don't have like the statistics yeah. or the data on that. Yeah. Um, but it was completely, I felt hopeless. I felt hopeless. I'd spend all day reading articles in bed and blogs and trying to research treatments and it just wasn't clear to me how I was ever gonna recover or become and a functioning person. And you were at what person. age at this time? So I was 21 when I first had to drop out of school. Mm -hmm. um, and so 21 to almost 25, I was really trying to get healthy enough so I could go back to college and finish my degree. Um, Trying to get healthy enough, what did that entail? Like having the energy to walk to class. <laughs> no, I get that. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Were you trying different diets? Oh, were that. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Were you changing your lifestyle? What were you doing for you yeah. to try and power through it? Oh, my God. Everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. I tried anything. Like if you had told me drink your urine, that'll help you get better, I would have done it. Like yeah. I was on board for almost anything. I was so desperate. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I worked with herbalists, acupuncturists. I did neurofeedback. I tried standard Western medicine. Um, it was just kind of a puzzle of, you know, fitting the pieces together. And there were a couple things over time that helped, but I mean, I tried hundreds of treatments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like for dieting, what did you do? You know, I tried to be a raw vegan for a year. I only ate organic raw fruits and vegetables and seeds and nuts. And how'd that work out for you? <laughs> well, I didn't get any better. Uh -huh. And, and I, that's not to diss that diet yeah. or lifestyle. I've met people- Well, you're trying to battle a disease. Yeah. So, I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, you're trying to get better. Yeah, and, and if some, you're doing a diet that doesn't work, you're going to have to change it in order to get better and to keep trying different options. So. Absolutely. And some people benefit from that diet, and I'm not one of them. So, yeah. you know, and then I, I did the vegetarian thing. Um, for me, the diet that I've landed on that helps is just to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, seeds, nuts, gluten-free grains, and eat animal protein a couple times a week. Gluten-free 
pizzas uh-huh. are actually really good. Pizzas. I know they're really good. I had I had some when I was in Montana this last week, and I think it was my first time ever having gluten free pizza, and they were like. I was like, damn, this is good. Like, yeah, I was totally shocked. I had a gluten free hamburger bun because I've never really messed with much gluten free anything because I just never cared. Yeah. Or had a reason to. And, and I was giving it a whirl and it was amazing. Like really good food. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many people now who are trying to go gluten free or, you know, whatever, soy free. So there's a movement to make health food tastier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so funny because we never really looked, not looked, we never really, back in the day, mm-hmm. ate 150 pounds of flour a year. Right. You know what I mean? When you look at the entirety of a, of a year's diet of food of what we're eating and you go back to a, when people were much healthier, you know, there wasn't obesity epidemics and all these other things. You know, go back to the 40s, 50s and stuff like that. And uh, the amount of sugars and flour and all this extra stuff that we were taking in was like, I want to say it was like a quarter of the amount yeah. of what we take in today. And it's so insane to look at those numbers and then be like, oh, no wonder we have diabetes everywhere. No yeah. wonder that everybody is suffering from all different kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at all this different food that we're just pounding into our bodies and it's like, yeah. it just doesn't seem right. <laughs> well, and again, it's like the further we deviate from nature, yeah, the more issues we have. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and then you, you look at like a foraging lifestyle and a hunting mm-hmm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And if you're foraging for your food and maybe growing some crops too, like you always have your vegetables, you know, some stuff is going to be seasonal that you're foraging, right? Right. Different mushrooms, whatever it may be. And then you're hunting your protein whenever you have the ability to harvest, kill take whatever with an animal yeah right so the amount the availability of food is not here's a box of Cheez-Its and I'll say Cheez-Its because I'll crush a box of Cheez-Its in a matter of minutes (laughs) you know here's a box of Cheez-Its let me just open it up and enjoy this salty cheesy snack that's delicious (laughs) you know I haven't eaten Cheez-Its in forever why because I'm a health girl. <laughs> if I had Cheez-Its right now, would you eat some? I'd have like a handful. I mean, I I will partake. I could open up the gates of hell. I don't have that issue, though, with food. Like, uh-huh. I can just have a little bit and enjoy it. Really? Yeah. I don't have to eat, like, my sorrow away. Yeah. I don't know if I eat my sorrow away. <laughs> Maybe when I go to Coldstone. Oh, when I go to Coldstone, I'm eating some sort of something away. Totally. You know. Totally. I also just have this competitive thing with myself where, like, if I get an ice cream, I feel this obligation to finish it, mm-hmm. even if I don't want it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll make the fucked up part where, like, I'll get the biggest ice cream with tons of toppings, and I don't know how to put the ice cream in the freezer. Right. I only know how to put You didn't it... learn that in school. So. No, no. I only know how to put the ice cream in the trash can when it's done. Right, right, right. right. It's terrible. 
<laughs> it's terrible. So back to lions. Yes, back to lions. So you're you're 21. Yeah. 21 to 25. Yeah. Changing diets, doing anything that you can. Yeah. You know. So do you know when you might have come into contact with it, or do you know how long it took to show up in your body? Like, what did you find out about it? Well, I, I honestly, just given the symptoms I had, I think I initially fell ill with it in my teen years. So when you were 14, yeah. you, and you were talking about being out at summer camp. Neurological and, yeah. problems. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it just lied dormant. It didn't really lie dormant. I had a, a shitload of symptoms, mm -hmm. but I wasn't bedridden. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was trying to navigate that and I went to an acupuncturist that told me, you know, I had chronic viral fatigue. It, it, when you have an obscure illness, it can take a really long time to get a diagnosis. To pinpoint it out. Yeah. And what do you think, I mean, was it just from hiking around in the hills in Marin? I think it was being up at Green Gulch Camp in the woods. <laughs> That's where I was. You're blaming them. You called them out. I'm right. I'm blaming Green Gulch Camp. No, it's a great camp, but I, I came back very ill, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I don't know if they still exist or not, but yeah. So what was the battle like? It is so unfathomable. Um, it's so hard to explain... Well, you've, you've been through your own things, but it's so hard to explain to people what chronic illness is if they haven't been through it. One thing that really struck me was the way it impaired my brain. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, not only did I have no physical strength and I was living out of a bed, but it was like I no longer had my mental facilities. Now, what is the read? Like, is the... Is the the disease mental like the, faculties? I didn't mean facilities. It's okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody would have cared. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. <laughs> Just you. But I'm a Virgo, so I had to correct it. Okay, and uh, so like, is there a part of the the virus or the disease that is that that's what it does? Is it attacks your brain? It attacks your brain. Does it attack your spinal system or what? Like, do you have a a breakdown of? what is happening to you, what the disease is doing to you, Yeah. while you're actually feeling this stuff happening to you? Yeah, I mean, I know. Now it, you do. Well, yeah, yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, for me, my symptoms manifested as severe brain inflammation, uh, you know, vertigo, severe memory loss. I mean, I would be so disoriented, I couldn't find the words for like colors. I'd look at the color blue and I couldn't even think of what, what that color was called. Mm -hmm. It was like my brain went to mush. Um, so my understanding is that it, it, the virus can affect your brain. It can attack your brain. Um, I, fuck, you know, I, I had really bad insomnia. Mm -hmm. I had mild seizures. I would convulse. Uh, there were years where I could hardly eat. I had no appetite, really bad digestive issues limb paralysis, um, a really difficult time walking. There were years where I could hardly walk to the bathroom. Years. Yeah, and I remember at my worst, it got to the point where I couldn't lift my arm up to brush my hair. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mom coming in and my hair was forming locks, like dreadlocks in the back. Because Maddie I couldn't. Dreads, man. Yeah, I couldn't brush my hair, so she would it's have. Okay, it's totally Fairfax. Yeah, I know, but it was, 
it, there was no like consent, right? It's like I, I wasn't trying to have my hair lock up. Yeah. Um, so I was, my mom would lift my head up and brush my hair. I mean, it was, it was unfucking real. I didn't know that people could get that sick without dying. Mm-hmm. I just every day I was like, am I am I gonna die today? Is today the day? You felt like you're living on death's door. Absolutely, I felt like there was one string holding me to life, mm-hmm. and that I was in and, and heart palpitations. It was insane. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely insane. And just so anyone listening, if you know someone affected by Lyme or ME or fibro, like just hold so much love and compassion for them because it is a living hell on earth. Yeah. Yeah. So. What was it like for you dealing with that? Like, that couldn't have been easy. Like, was it, like, just completely destructive to pride and ego and, you know, like, you as a person and an, an individual? How did it affect you and shape you? Yeah, I mean, it, it ruined me. It completely destroyed me. And I think, it, in a way, it killed me. And it allowed for me to kind of be Rebirth. reborn again. You know, I, what's more humbling than to be completely crippled? And I think I went, not much. I went through being so insecure, feeling like I have no value because I can't do anything Mm -hmm. to sort of getting over all of it and not caring anymore at all and deciding like, this is my life and who cares what other people think? Like I need to live for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, how do you, it, it was, it was a very spiritual thing for me. How do you have confidence when you can't perform, when you can't produce, when you can't be around other people? Yeah. Um, so my confidence had to become a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. And it led me, of course, into my career of being a counselor, of being a therapist. Uh-huh. So how did that explain that process? How did it lead you there? Well, yeah, so that's another process. So I got healthy enough to finish my degree. At, I went back to school at 25, finished when I was 26. And where'd you go back? Or you don't have to say U-C-L-A. That. Oh, so you fight, went back to UCLA? Fight. Yeah, I did. It's terrifying. LA is a terrible place to live. I really didn't care. I was just in and out to get my degree. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there sure. to hang. I wasn't there to socialize. Yeah. None of it. So I got my degree, but I still wasn't that healthy. And I went back home and crawled right back into bed because, frankly, I didn't have much physical strength. Um, it was a process, but by the time I was 29, I got strong enough to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. Granted, I was working part-time during these different pockets, um, but I wasn't a fully functioning adult. Mm-hmm. So 29, I went to grad school to study counseling psychology and art therapy. And now, what is art therapy? Because it just sounds so like hippie, dippy. <laughs> well, I'm I am I'm a hippie dippy warrior. I will oh, say okay. that. Okay. But um, art therapy is basically just using the arts in counseling, right? Mm-hmm. And art therapy is used a lot with children because children it's hard for them to sit for fifty minutes and just kind of sit there and have a conversation, right? Yeah. So you can get them to express themselves verbally and non-verbally through the arts. And a lot of kids will express their trauma and their pain through the arts, whether it's um, through a drawing or a painting or other modalities. I started off by working with kids doing art therapy and also working with brain injured adults. And when someone has a brain injury, like a traumatic brain injury or a stroke, it can affect their ability to communicate. 
And I found that art therapy was really helpful with that population as well. And that just really sold it to me that this is an amazing field. How so was that beneficial for the patient? Right. So like say if somebody, certain people with strokes or brain injuries lose their ability to talk, right? Or to formulate sentences the way they used to. Mm -hmm. What better way to communicate than through writing or through music or through art? And so I worked at this I actually initially volunteered with this agency that works with brain injured adults and I saw how it helped lower people's anxiety and depression. It gave them a way to feel less isolated and to be in community and it gave them a means for self-expression. And I just thought, wow, this is, for some people, the arts are their saving grace. For some people, the arts are what prevent them from killing themselves, honestly. Mm So I thought, you know, this is a field that I want to study and I want to support people. So I do do traditional talk therapy. I do that. But I also incorporate in art therapy, you know, when it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned suicide. Yeah. And we can go into this topic or not go into this topic. Yeah, I'm totally down to go into that topic. (laughs) So did you, throughout any of your course mm-hmm. ever go through any suicidal points when you were dealing with Lyme's disease and being bedridden and just smashed down and ground out? Right. I mean, absolutely. It, it's, it's hard to want to go on when you're not physically well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more passive in that I was just hoping I would die in my sleep. I yeah. really... All I wanted in the world was to get better, but when I stopped believing I would get better, I just, every night was hoping that would be the night where my heart would give out and I would die in my sleep. So there was just a really strong desire to not be here. Embrace death. Yeah, because I I think that's natural when you're suffering for so long. Um, Because we're talking years. We're talking years, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, it, there was a, a deep desire to not be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was it like dealing with that? You know, it's looking it's a, back on it now. Looking back on it now, it was a hard thing. I, you know, I was open enough where I would talk about it to people, and it's it was not a conversation people wanted to have. Of you know, of course not. Nobody of, wants to talk to their child or their friend about them not wanting to be here want to exist yeah Yeah. absolutely so you know what's interesting is i've noticed now as a counselor that a lot of people just need to say it they just need to express the despair it It doesn't mean they're going to do anything to themselves it doesn't mean they're going to hurt themselves for some people they just feel better expressing it like how deep the pain is Mm -hmm. Um, and i think for me that was the case is i just needed to talk about it but there wasn't really anyone there to hold it for me So I guess now I get to be that person for other people. Right. Well, do you feel like going through the event, the event has helped shape you to where you're at today to being able to help other people through the despair, whatever it may be that they're going through? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't really share a lot of that stuff with clients just because it's a it's a different setting it's yeah. a, it's you know it's a more formal well, absolutely. So, but I'm not setting. talking about like right I know what you mean yeah but yeah like I think the way that I show up as a presence 
is absolutely informed by my past experiences mm -hmm. and, and my ability to hold a lot and not be afraid of it is shaped by my past experiences. Well, and I would also think that because you've been maybe where a lot of these people are, it makes it easier for you to discuss with them and makes you an easier person for them to discuss with. Right. right. Whether they know that you have been there or not. Yeah, yeah. But because you have been there, you probably have a sense of ease and comfort. Oh, totally. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Absolutely. And being able to discuss stuff. Yeah. And frankly, you know, my story is my story, but what counts is the way that I show up in this moment. Mm -hmm. And people can feel that. They can feel when you're connected, they can feel when you're empathetic, they can feel when you're deep. And when you can relate. And when you can relate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just having dealt with alcoholics and drug addicts for, you know, 15, 20 years for myself, mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's really interesting because when you know it, you can navigate it so much more thoroughly. Absolutely. Than when you've only heard about it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Of course. You know, when, you, when you've lived it. And I just, you know, everybody, like I'm sure for you in, in the time period of being bedridden and battling everything, the last thought in your head is, I'm going to come out of this and everything, you know, I'm going to learn so much from this and be able to help so many people based off of my experience. You know, like, I mean, I know for me, that was never a thought in my head when I was homeless, living in my car, being a shitwad, you know, right. like how all oh, this is going to be so beneficial for me to use to help other people, you know, Yeah. but then come full circle 10, 15 years later and it's absolute bedrock to be able to help people. Yeah. You know? I had moments where I thought, okay, if I get through this, I'm going to be able to support other people, but mm -hmm. it wasn't a constant thing. There was a lot of doubt and fear that it would never end. So what would you tell somebody that maybe they think that they have Lyme's? Like, where would you send somebody? Yeah. You know, because I've heard, like, not just your story, but I've heard so many stories where, like, people will have it for years undetected because no one knows how to really look for it or find it or you know and that's one of the it's things it's complicated it's very complicated and even though the cdc recognizes it as a condition or an illness my understanding is that there's still a lot of doctors who don't believe chronic lyme exists mm -hmm. so it's really hard when there's certain conditions that standard western medicine doesn't fully acknowledge yeah um, i would say if you think you might have lyme try and go find a lyme literate doctor uh -huh. someone who actually believes it's real and someone who's willing to do tests um you know and honestly being open to other treatments like yes western medicine can be amazing and also it has its limitations mm -hmm. and being willing to look go to a naturopathic doctor or seek out different type of alternative therapies whether it's eastern medicine or what have you but really being open to using the best of any and every healing modality like what kind of um non-western medicine did you 
try? Oh my gosh, anything. I, would, I did Ayurvedic medicine, which is kind of the, the healing system, the medicine from India. Mm -hmm. um, I did, you know, a, I saw a, a Chinese medicine doctor. I've done acupuncture. Um, How do you like acupuncture? I like it. I mean, I saw it as kind of a complementary thing to my healing. I don't think it in any way cured me, but yeah. I think it supported me in my healing process. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for when there's economic restraints involved, too, there's certain like schools or programs where you can go in for $20 and get an acupuncture treatment. So it's nice in that way where yeah. you might be able to get that service for not too expensive. Was there any homeopathic remedies or anything like that that you... That I did? Oh, yes. I'm trying to think of what. I mean, it's yeah. such a blur at this point. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like worked with herbalists who gave me tons of herbal concoctions to drink. I did work with actually a really great herbalist. I guess I could shout him out on this. Absolutely. His name's Keith Smith. Um, he's in the San Diego County. And he's an older gentleman. He's in his 80s. He mm -hmm. cured himself of leukemia when he was 39. And he did some an interesting herbal treatment with me. And so that, that was helpful. I did that some years back. Um, and a lot of it consisted of, you know, having spirulina every single day, <laughs> which, uh -huh. which did improve my health. Um, and what's a spirulina? It's uh, algae from the sea. It okay. actually, in terms of you know protein content per calorie it's allegedly the highest protein content food on the planet really yeah per calorie mm -hmm. you know so it's like yeah of course meat has a lot of protein but per calorie spirulina has the highest protein content really at least that's what i read so yeah yeah, yeah. that's crazy what else i mean i worked with a shamanic counselor i was willing to do anything mm -hmm. yeah so what would you recommend? Well, I mean, I think everyone really has their own path and journey with health. And um, I've had people where I've recommended treatments I do, and it's been really beneficial to them. And I've had friends who tried the things I tried, and it didn't really help them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's never a one-size-fits-all. I think um, for any illness, people have a different process. But I would definitely say, yeah, find a Lyme literate, doc Lyme literate doctor. For me, neurofeedback was really helpful um, just because there was this huge trauma and imprint on my nervous system. And I felt like while I dealt with the underlying infection, I think that the neurofeedback kind of helped my nervous system bounce back from the trauma of having Lyme and fibro. Mm -hmm. You know, find a great herbalist if you can. Um, Nutrition's always helpful. And there's also just the financial reality that a lot, I was so blessed to be able to live with my parents and have financial support, but when I was really sick, but um, it really just depends on the amount of resources people can access. And that's a huge issue for a lot of chronically ill people. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Is there anything you'd recommend to somebody that was gonna take off into the woods to avoid ticks? <laughs> Wear pants. <laughs> Just cover yourself from head to toe, uh -huh. honestly. And check yourself every day, of course. I mean, and I think most people do, but just be really mindful. I think, you know, I got a tick bite a few years back and I flipped because it was a huge trigger for me. I was like, oh no, mm -mm, I'm mm -hmm. not going through this bullshit again. Mm -hmm. And I, I went to my doctor, I got it removed. I demanded they put me on antibiotics. I don't care if it's one in 20 ticks that carry Lyme, put me on antibiotics. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of people, I feel like I've heard this, that 
people don't think that Lyme's really prevalent in the West and it's only prevalent in the East Coast. No, it happens here too. It happens here a lot. It does. It yeah. does. And it's just, even if it's only 5% of the time, it's just... That's still a lot of the time. It's still a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I would just say, you know, don't live in fear, but just be mindful. Check yourself every day. When you're out in nature, try to have your limbs covered, you know, mm -hmm. just be mindful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In my understanding, again, I'm not a doctor, obviously. But my understanding is if you can get on antibiotics immediately, you're way more likely to knock out the infection than say it's been years and you've noticed these symptoms, symptoms. right? Yeah. So that's my MO. Like if I get a tick bite, I want antibiotics. Really? But I've only had one tick bite in the past five years. Yeah. Yeah. Do you stay at the fuck out of the woods these days? No, I don't. I live in the woods. I know. But I'm just, I just stay covered. Yeah. 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 Right on. There's no reason. I don't believe in living in fear. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? I believe that the more we live in fear, the more we attract chaos to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like manifesting your own problems. Totally. Plus, talk about, you know, fear is hard on the body. Mm -hmm. So for health reasons, it's best to be, like, mindful, be cautious, but <clears throat> we don't want to surge stress hormones, hormones through our body all the time. Constantly? Yeah. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. So I, I do my best not to be overly fearful. Mm -hmm. That's why nature is so great and relaxing. Yeah. You just go out there and chill out. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I had, during grad school, I was really good with it. I need to get better at this. Every single day, I did an hour-long walk in nature. Mm -hmm. One hour every single day in nature. And what was the benefit you feel? It's just great for stress management, relaxation, mm -hmm. feeling connected to the earth. Like, just help me in life. So, what do we have to do to get you and your boyfriend to start hunting? <laughs> how do we how do we bring you into the outdoors family now you, you kind of do your own or you want to do your own gardening stuff yeah i mean for the first step for me is just to garden mm -hmm. um and we have a little bit but i'd like to really get into it you know he's funny because he was a vegan and now he eats meat he got really and into he blames you for it he blames me for it i mean jokingly <laughs> of course but he went through this like really intense archery phase where he was obsessed with archery and uh -huh. he would steal my food out of the fridge to use as like his, you know, what do you call it? His little archery point, the shit that he would hit with his bow and arrow. So he would like grab my apples or like my soy milk creamer and he would do videos of himself like, drawing you know, the bow. yeah, drawing the bow and like hitting the apple. So I used to joke and call him my little vegan hunter like, oh, look, you, you know, you, you killed an apple for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, you capture, you know, like soy milk. <laughs> That's so fucking great. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can expect anything from him. So who knows? Maybe he'll be a hunter one day. One day, be fun. I'd love to take him hunting. Yeah. Yeah. He's a sensitive soul, but I'm sure he could get past it. <laughs> uh -huh. He's also comes from a lineage of Cambodian warriors. So. Oh really. Yeah. So it's in his DNA. It's in his DNA. It's like he might as well already be a hunter. His mom survived the Cambodian Civil War. So really? Yeah. I'd love to talk to her about that. She's super interesting. Yeah, maybe you will for your <laughs> podcast. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. The Cambodian Civil War, I couldn't even imagine what it'd be like to live through a civil war. <sighs> I know. Right? Yeah. It's insane. It's totally insane. We'll have one soon, I'm sure. I sure hope not. <laughs> it's possible. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. It's happened before. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, I'm holding intentions for peace. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Right on. I mean, do you have any, like, concluding thoughts? Do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah. We I, sailed through this fairly quickly. It's only been an hour. Yeah, we did. The first two and a half minutes was listening to Todd, so. I didn't even know we were on at that point. I know. That was the point. Oh, that was the point. You just eased me into it. Yeah, just trick you, and then all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> to be on. Oh, my God, we're on. Shit. Did I say that? No. Okay. Uh, my final thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your health is your greatest wealth. Take care of your health. Stay mm -hmm. connected to the earth. Hunt your own food, grow your own food. Who am I to say? I don't really do that yet, but mm -hmm. you know, yeah, just honor nature and honor your own body. Yeah. But you're getting there. I'm getting there. Right? Yeah. And so, speaking of honoring your own body, you're going to try this. And I know that you said you've never had a freeze dried meal before. Never, ever. Never, ever had a freeze dried meal. So this is a mountain berry. It's a granola cereal okay. with freeze-dried berries in it. It's backpacking food, hunting food. It's okay. what we take on the mountain. Okay. Right? So they, they freeze-dry it. It's ultralight. Yeah. So you're not bringing in a ton of heavy shit. Okay. Right? And so I'm just trying it right yeah, now? Yeah, try it. Tell me what you think about it. That's pretty good. You like that? Yeah, it's good. For someone who's never eaten freeze-dried food before... Like, would you would you think that it's... I'd say it's a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Way better than you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So the company's Peak Refuel, and everybody listens to me ramble about them all the time. Okay. Um, I mean, to me, that tastes like, you know, the oatmeal I sometimes have at home where I just add water. I mean... Yeah. Except it's granola, but... Yeah. Right? Have more. If you're all, I'm good. Do you want more? I'll have one more bite, yeah. Have more. That's yeah, good. These are their breakfasts. I love these. And it's so funny because, like, I never was really into breakfast foods mm -hmm. like this. And they came out with these, and I tried this. And I was like, wow, I could enjoy this on the mountain. <laughs> I could pack this and, and eat it out there. This is great. Go. I'm always eating it. It's definitely good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. It's it's Zan approved. Stamp. Zan stamp. That's a Zan stamp, yeah. Zan. <laughs> Zan. That's street slang for Xanax now. Is it? Yeah, they call it Zan. There's a Drake song where he goes, I'm on the plane, pop half a Zan, and I'm out for the night, uh, out for the night, uh. uh -huh. And I'm like, I've never heard my name in a rap song before, but now it is. Oh, okay. Who is that? Who does that song? Drake. Drake? You know Drake, right? No. Oh, my. Where have you been living? Under a rock. Not in the rap world. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's so mainstream. San Quinn, Messy Marv, you know. He's really mainstream rap. Selsky. Okay. Mac Drake. We're going to listen to Drake after this. I'm not a huge Drake fan, but at least you need to know who he is. Okay. 
I'm sure I've heard of it. You, I'm sure you have, yeah. I know, like, Little Wheezy. Good. You get some credit for that. I know Little Nas. Little Nas. And you know Little Zan. There's actually a rapper named Little Zan, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know Little Nas because my buddy Jake has horses. Mm. Is he, he names... the one who does that country song? Little Nas? I don't know. Okay, anyway, go on. And uh, Jake names all of his horses after rappers. <laughs> Sounds like a person I'd want in my life. There's Cardi B. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> Rambunctious ass bitch of a horse, but she's still amazing. But... <laughs> Or mule, they're mules, and then there's there's Lil Wayne, the little wheezy, and uh, there's uh, Warren G. Oh, Warren G. That's old school. Warren G's old school. Um, who else is there? There's more than that, because there's there's seven altogether. I feel, I feel like, like I should call them right now and say, it, "Hey, your... name off the horses real yeah. quick." Let's see if I can get him to do it. Yeah, go. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hey. <laughs> do me a favor. You're, you're being recorded right now. Will you name off your horses? We you name off the mules? That's it? Am I missing any? I feel like there was one more, wasn't there? Little Nas, Cardi B, Warren G, and Little Wayne. That's it. All right. And then I have Luke the horse. Luke the horse. Yeah. And Big Smoke, who's no longer with us. Okay. He passed. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jake. Later. Later. <laughs> so I guess there was only four. I was incorrect. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe next we'll dive into the wonderful world of Sasquatch. Oh, my God. Aliens, maybe? Oh, my God. That's, like, my favorite topic. Is it really? Okay. Yes. Okay, I want to hear this. <laughs> so, so my, my significant other and I, we... Well, we still do, but we haven't done one recently. We did statecations, we call them, where we explore a different part of California. And we go for the weekend, get an Airbnb, hotel, whatever, mm -hmm. and just explore someplace. So, of course, we had to go to Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And there is this cool, funky dude who opened up his own little Bigfoot museum out in Santa Cruz. Have you been there? Mm -mm. He is a character. So it's it's tiny, it's small, it's like a little red cottage, essentially. Really? Yeah, and he just has all this, like, you know, Bigfoot toys and cereal boxes and different cultural symbols of Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. But he also has this map on the wall, or at least he did a year ago, where he put pins where everybody in Santa Cruz County has allegedly spotted a Bigfoot. Wait, we have Bigfoot in California? Yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And he showed us footage of a Bigfoot. Now, I'm not convinced, but he spent a good hour talking to us, like 
trying to urge us to believe in Bigfoot. And I walked away with an openness. I won't say I believe in Bigfoot, but I walked away with an openness. Mm-hmm. And we went home that night and watched a documentary of, of Bigfoot. So I live in the forest and sometimes I look around just like hoping for a Bigfoot spotting. Mm-hmm. Like it would rock my world. I to actually see Bigfoot. Yeah. See, I just, I wonder so much about this Bigfoot craze. I mean, I think it's based on something. I don't know what, but, you know, it's based on something. Mm-hmm. Like all things are. But as a hunter. Yeah. Right. And as a PNW hunter, Pacific Northwest Western hunter. Mm-hmm. Myself and hundreds of thousands of other hunters spend weeks, months. In nature. In the woods. Yeah. We go as far as putting cameras all over the forest Mm -hmm. that are triggered by motion. Yeah. In the most remote locations that you could possibly drum up. Like, hunters will look at Google Earth and find the most remote location that has the most terrible way with no trail to get to it and we'll drop a pin and we'll be like that's where we're going that's where we're going to go to hunt right because there's going to be nobody else there right and we'll go in six months ahead of time to set up cameras just to check it out see if there's actually animals there because we're that fucking crazy where's Bigfoot on the trail cameras well let's google it maybe some uh hunters have allegedly seen Bigfoot. I don't know. I mean, here's what I'll say. I'm, I'm interested in that too. And like, why haven't we found any Bigfoot bones? Right? Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Some people believe, and don't, don't quote me on this, but some people believe that people are seen into like the astral realm or an alternative parallel reality. Some people believe that Bigfoot is an alien spotting. Uh-huh. There's, I think there's a lot of theories about what this actually is. About and, what Bigfoot actually is? Yeah. There's mm-hmm. some people who believe Bigfoot's like an alien spotting. I don't have any set beliefs a about it. A big, furry, fuzzy alien. I guess. Yeah. I don't, I mean, again, I don't really have a set belief about it, but I love to ponder the possibilities. Yeah. Because honestly, as humans, we're like these little specks in the universe. How much do we really know? We know a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to find my buddy's Instagram account. Okay. Who loves Bigfoot. But I can't find his account right now. And I can't remember the goddamn company well. <laughs> name that he works for either to, to pull it up. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I just don't know. I don't know either. What about aliens? Oh, for sure. Aliens are the thing. No I mean, how can there not be aliens? Yeah. Do they look like how we think they look? I don't know. But there has to be aliens. I mean, other life forms in the universe? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm 100% sold that one of my dad's best friends was abducted. Really? Oh, okay, yeah. I need to hear this story. I'm not going to tell the story. Oh, you're just going to throw it out there like me? I am. And, and tease me? Yeah, will you and tell me, everybody else. Will you tell I'll me? I'll tell you after the episode uh, okay, is ended. Okay, perfect. For sure. At least as I, I get the privilege. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. But, uh... I have an alien abduction story. Do you? Well, sort of. I mean, I fully believe in aliens. 
I do too. I fully believe that we as human beings mm -hmm. have been conditioned over years, prolonged periods of time, so that if the time ever comes when there is an integration, mm -hmm. that we have been conditioned for so long that it's natural. We already understand what they look like. We already have an idea of how it's going to go down or what will happen. So when it actually happens and they start showing up, mm -hmm. it's been embedded in our society since the 50s. Right. Right? Or before. Or even before that. Yeah. You know? What's your alien abduction story? <laughs> it's not much of a story, but oh. I remember I must have been under the age of 10. And I had this little window, you know, that led into my room. And, you know, it was one of those windows you can slide open, get some air, slide it down. Mm -hmm. And I believe I'd had it, it was kind of slid open a couple inches, right? And I went to bed and I had this dream that this alien spaceship shrunk itself and came in through like the two inch gap in my window. And then they kind of made me small too, so I could fit into this spaceship. And then they flew out the window and, and showed me around the galaxy, the Milky Way, right? And so in the dream, they dropped me back off in my bed. And then as they, in their little small, tiny ship, they tried to go through my window, but they hit the bottom of the windowsill and they chipped it. And they, you know, said sorry and they left. When I woke up that morning, I ran to the window and the night before the window wasn't chipped and there was this like chip in my window that completely corresponded to my dream. And I just, that always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Like, did did something fall or what happened that my that that occurred in the night, you know, and why did I have that dream? So I, I never, I don't know that that was an alien thing, but I just found it to be an interesting Sounds synchronicity. alien. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, but it wasn't a scary thing. It was like a nice little experience. Yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. Aliens always freaked me out. I think when I was really young, I watched Fire in the Sky. Did you oh, ever see that movie? Yeah, but I don't really remember God, it. God, that movie was, was terrifying so when it first came out. Yeah. VHS. And uh, I think ever since then, I've just been... Freaked out? On board that aliens are going to kill us all one day. Yeah, that, that's not how I think about it. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you think? I don't know what I think. I think that... It's not going to be like Mars attacks and aliens come down and... No, I don't think so. Destroy everybody? I'm going to take a guess that we might be more violent than the aliens that maybe come to visit us. You think? Because, well, think about the things that humans do. Like we're do. just super insecure beings and we're going to try to attack them? Yeah, because it's it's threatening when there's a presence that you don't know or understand. Like flying around in fucking spaceships when we don't have the technology. Yeah. That's pretty intimidating. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's serious business. It is. I mean, but if you imagine that there were aliens observing our planet, like all the wars and genocides, I mean, we're not exactly a warm, fuzzy planet if no, you really look at it. we're a fucking terrible species. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying is like, it's like I don't Matrix, know, maybe the aliens the are... Human, they call human beings a virus. Like, we are literally a virus and we're terrible for the planet. We have, like, in my opinion, human beings, our species, uh -huh. 
We want to solve the world's problems. We need massive genocide. We need to kill two-thirds of the world's population. We want to stop. We want to stop global warming. We want to stop all these like problems that we're having with nature and yeah, major pollution and all this crazy shit that's happening all over the world. Two-thirds of the population on the planet need to die. Period. The only way to solve the world's problems is by a massive genocide of human beings. Or if people just would stop repopulating, like if two-thirds of the planet didn't have kids, right? Yeah, but it's the same thing. Yeah, same thing. I'm just thinking of a more peaceful solution. Yeah, just kill them all. <laughs> but that's such a masculine response. I'm bringing in the healing feminine response. Uh-huh. I'm also a therapist, so Yeah, come no, on. that's okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, we can do this. Yeah, we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that really, I mean, wouldn't that, you know convincing two-thirds of the world's population not to breed that that is that's actually a genocide that's like a serious yeah i suppose i mean or honestly just you know we're so programmed to do certain things and uh yeah like there's plenty of people who don't necessarily want to have kids and there's no reason to pressure them to because we're very overpopulated Mm -hmm. you know we are yeah you know you look at california California's population is terrifying. You look at the planet's population, you're like, this is terrifying. Yeah. I don't think that there should be more than two and a half billion people on planet Earth. I think that is nature's capacity. Right. Of our species. Yeah. And I don't know where we've gone to let it get this fucked up with an extra five billion people. But like... Something's got to give. Yeah, or like the Earth will wipe us out. And I think that at the, the end Earth of the will day, solve this issue. <laughs> at the end of the day, no matter what. Yeah. I think that uh, nature sorts itself out. Mm-hmm. No Rebalances. Matter what. Nature, like people, want to be worried about all these different eco threats that humans are putting on our planet, and you know, like being scared that there's not going to be an earth left like i think when the earth is done with us yeah we'll know yeah because that die off that i'm talking about will happen overnight i mean it would be nice if we didn't you know walk into our own armageddon if we could find a way to live more peacefully with nature that would be nice Mm -hmm. i mean that would be i just don't think and I think this across the board, yeah. no matter who, I think that we are, have become such a consumerism society. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Western world, that it's not possible to come back from where we are. Because we rely so heavily on mass production mm-hmm. um, from places where we allow serious pollution to go on that there's just it's i mean yeah either we change and evolve or we don't i mean i look at Mm -hmm. it the the micro versus the macro and Mm -hmm. i think about my own life and changes i've made and things i had to do to survive and i think sometimes you know if humanity's pushed in a certain direction either we'll we'll change and we'll evolve and we'll respond or we won't you Mm -hmm. know and it and that's it yeah. But I also don't, you know, try and carry that burden day to day. Uh-huh. <laughs> I try to just, you know, show up and 
and be a kind person and support others and uh, there's a lot to think about and yeah. it, it can be pretty you know it can weigh on you yeah yeah absolutely there is a lot to think about yeah there always is yeah there's so much to take into account you know but we've covered a lot we've covered uh yeah, we've kind of gone all over the board now. <laughs> Aliens, Bigfoot, Lyme disease, nature, ecotherapy, art therapy. Yeah. We've really covered a wide spectrum. Yeah, and splashing in puddles. And splashing in puddles. That's the most important part. Absolutely. I'm glad that's what you took away. Splashing in puddles. Yeah. I love splashing in puddles. Yeah, me too. Right? <laughs> Did you ever set up little boats and watch them go down the, the drain? The... Uh, no. The gutters? Like I do gutter races? Well, I did with leaves. Never like. You did it with leaves? I did it with leaves. Okay. We used to make paper boats. Yeah. And then when we get off the bus, we'd Aww. all line up. I should have had more guy friends as a child. I don't feel like us girls made, made well, did right. that. You went to an all girls school. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Well, the high school was all girls, not the. I, I had boys in my class, but oh. there weren't a lot of boys in my neighborhood. Like the people mm -hmm. within walking distance were all girls. Yeah. So it wasn't until like middle school that I could get around more and actually hang out with like guy friends. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that when you got a power wheels driving around the neighborhood? I'm just no, <laughs> I had a bike. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. We met when you were in middle school. Yeah. Like 12. Yeah. 12 ish. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Crazy times. Well, right on, man. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time out of your life to, you know, come and talk to me about the stuff that you faced. Yeah, you know, thanks for Lyme's having disease. me. And, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about it because for me and majority of the people that listen to the podcast, we're all outdoorsmen and, you know, Lyme's is a serious thing. It you is. Know, and to know that, you, you know, it railed you for eight years or you know five six years whatever like it's kind of important information for us to know going into the field and maybe be being a little better equipped on what we could do to maybe not get it absolutely yeah you know? or to, if we do end up finding out that we do have it what to maybe kind of expect yeah, mm. and I really hope no one does get it that's Cause listening. Because it's, it's horrible. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That sounds true. But there's a lot, you know, you can do to prevent it. Covering yourself, checking daily, and if you do get it, go straight to the doctor. And, yeah, bug and, sprays. Yeah, yeah. So if you get on it quick, you know, you can probably prevent it from being an issue. Right on. But just be mindful. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank Thanks. you. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Good. You kind of got to talk some cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I was excited. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. 
Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.